0: Well, last week uh, we began looking at an example from the New Testament of a gospel centered prayer for missions. And of course, several weeks ago we looked from the Old Testament at Psalm 67. And as we've looked now, we've kind of are directing our focus to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. I want to uh, kind of finish giving a report uh, of the Ethiopia trip that Tim and I were able to go on and also to, um, to finish out this passage that we're looking at in chapter three, verses one to five, um, on the overhead. I'm not going to show as many pictures as I did last week. Um, but you see Tim and I having a little powwow there on the couch in the lobby of, of, uh, one of the hotels. Um, The reason we're sitting so close together is because we were sharing an external charger for our phones Uh, you know we do get along um, but you know we don't always feel the need to be that close together Um, but tim is going to next week he's going to be preaching and giving uh, a report on the ethiopia trip uh, as well from his perspective so we're really excited uh, for uh, tim to come and to share with us Um, but we are going to continue looking at a gospel-centered prayer from 2 Thessalonians 3. How should we be praying as individuals when it comes to the spread of the gospel? Last week, we looked at the first of three specific prayer requests that are to be on our lips, that are to be on our hearts as a gospel-centered people. And and, and these three prayer requests are true regardless of if we go on a missions trip or if we're right here, because really we are ambassadors for the gospel of Christ no matter where we're at. And we look last week that we need to specifically be praying, first of all, for the spread of the gospel. Verses 1 to 2 show us this. Just by way of quick review, how do we pray for the spread of the gospel, both locally and globally? Verse 1 showed us that we are to pray for a freedom and a fruitfulness of the gospel message, that the gospel message would have freedom in going out and that in being proclaimed that the gospel would bring forth fruit. In verse one, Paul says, Finally, brothers, brothers, pray for us. And the first way they are to be praying for them is that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. When we pray for the freedom and fruitfulness of the gospel message, what we are praying for is that there would be gospel progress. That the gospel would be going out, that it would, as the text says, would speed ahead. Remember, last week we said that that word speed ahead, uh, it literally means to run. A runner that is running the race well. That the gospel would be going out, overcoming obstacles. We're to also be praying for gospel reception that those that hear would turn to Christ. It says that the gospel may speed ahead and be honored or be glorified. And then we saw last week also, it says not only that it would speed ahead and be honored, but Paul reminds the Thessalonian church, pray this, that what happened among you would happen elsewhere. You see, we're to be praying in light of a gospel reality. That gospel reality is that we know that the Word of God is effective and powerful because of what it's done in our own hearts. Because it has brought us to faith. You remember we looked at last week, chapter 2, and and, and, and we're going to talk about this more today, but in verse 13 to 15, this is the reality that the Thessalonian church lived in. Verse 13 of chapter 2 says, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers, beloved by the Lord, and, and get this, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So what happened? The Gospel came to the church in Thessalonica and they believed the truth. It worked powerfully in their hearts. And verse 14 says, To this He called you through our Gospel so that you may obtain the glory of of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see from these two verses that the work of the gospel, it has nothing to do with us in and of ourselves. It has all to do with God's calling and God's message and God's work in our hearts. We are recipients of the gospel. So when we pray, Lord, would the gospel go out to the ends of the earth? What we are praying is, God, would you do what you have promised to do and what only you can do? Well, today I want to wrap up this missions report And I also want us to continue to internalize the way that we should be praying for the spread of the gospel as we unpack Paul's words in this passage. So again, I want to share with you the key principle as we look at a gospel-centered prayer that we must be praying for the gospel to be at work in us and throughout the world. It's not an either-or thing. The gospel has come to save individuals, but the gospel has also come with a cosmic message of renewal. That Christ has come to make all things new. Even creation itself has been affected by sin. So we're going to see this morning as we continue to look at this first aspect of a gospel-centered prayer for the spread of the gospel That not only are we to be praying for freedom and fruitfulness of the gospel message, we are also to be praying for the preservation of the gospel messengers. Paul says here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, pray in verse 1, pray for us. And we've already looked at last week and and as a recap this morning, why are the the Thessalonian church to be praying for Paul and his companions? Why are we to be praying for individuals uh, that are taking the gospel both overseas and praying for one another as we are gospel ambassadors right here where we live? And Paul answers, that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and, and be honored. Paul says similarly in Colossians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. We see many times that Paul says, pray for us. Pray for an open door. In fact, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 25, Paul simply says, Brothers, pray for us. This is a personal prayer. I mentioned last week that uh, as Tim and I we, we had that half sheet of paper that um, that, that was available for, uh, for, for you all to have and to pray over. Um, both Tim and I knew that we needed prayer, uh, but little did we know at the same time how much we needed prayer. Um, you know, it's kind of factual. Yeah, we're going over to Ethiopia. Um, here's the ministry objectives. We're also, you know, hoping to have a good time as, as we're there and a good time as a team. But, my oh my, how we needed the prayers of God's people. I mentioned last week as well that that just in one single trip, um, how the book of Acts and some of the comments that Paul uh, makes in reading, uh, in the uh, scripture and the epistles, how much more they jump out now experientially more than they did before going. Things like we planned to go here, we planned to go here, uh, but Satan hindered us. We were not able to. Um, Paul says in, to the church in Galatians uh, uh, that to the church of Galatia, uh, uh, you cared for me when I was sick. All of those things. It's like you know what, I just have a little kernel-sized personal experience of noticing Satan hindering plans, illness, difficulty, all of those things. And that was a trip trip in the 21st century, not in the 1st century. And it was for one week. Not a life like Paul had. But we are to be a people of prayer. Prayer for each other through the week. Prayer for our, par- our missionary partners throughout the world. Can I ask you, when is the last time that you prayed for, you've had individuals come into your mind during the week to be praying for their gospel witness that day? Man, that's how we're to be praying. Well, I showed this picture last week. Um, uh, there's a picture of our missions team, uh, minus one guy who hadn't come out of the, the hotel yet. His name is Greg. Uh, he'll be in some other pictures. Um, but this was the missions trip that, that if, if you were praying for, or the missions team, that if you were praying for us, these are the individuals um, that you were praying for. And. At the end of the trip, um, one of the great things we were able to do before we left um, Ethiopia is we were able to pray together. I, I kind of snuck in. I was in the spirit of prayer, but I kind of snuck in a couple pictures uh, during our group prayer. Greg is the guy on the right that wasn't in the picture. Um, as we were heading back... Um, Tim and I, uh, our flights were leaving like within 15 minutes of each other, but Tim and I went on one um, big Boeing plane um, to, to head uh, to ultimately to, um, to, to uh, Washington, D.C., and then to Newark. Uh, and then the other three guys, they all live in Minneapolis, and they were going on a plane that was going to take them ultimately uh, to Chicago, and then Minneapolis. So, so this was kind of our, our farewell. And we were just praying um, uh, just over the, 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 the week that we had and ministering together, and then safety uh, for travels uh, on, the, on the way home. And uh, in fact, before our prayer time, it was funny, Mike, um, there in the back on, the, on your left... Uh, Mike was was taking a list and we were kind of bringing up things of all of the things that went wrong on this trip. Because, um, you know, I I shared with you last week, Mike mentioned that um, every trip things go wrong. You're trying to put together a team of guys and you're going overseas. There's just a lot that can go wrong. It comes with the territory. Uh, But this one even more so. Um, So we were making a list. We were kind of laughing at some of the things Um, one hotel that we were supposed to stay at there in Ambo, um, we, the one that they normally stay at all these other trips, uh, randomly didn't have any running water in it. So we had to find another hotel and, uh, Tim can attest to this, (laughs) but this hotel happened to be like ridden, infested with mosquitoes in the rooms and cockroaches. And, uh, for, from like 2 AM to 8 PM, the water did not work. And then they would turn on the water for a brief period of time. Uh, all of those, those fun things that, that you can uh, imagine uh, on a trip. Um, and then, of course, I shared with you last week, I kind of got sick toward the end of the week. Um, all of those things uh, that could potentially be hindrances, uh, albeit small, small hindrances compared to the big picture. Uh, But we were just thanking the Lord for His faithfulness, despite all of that. Um, In fact, um, ministry-wise, like I've shared with several of you just in conversation, uh, ministry-wise, the the purpose that we came there to minister, I would say, went went flawlessly. Uh, God gave us the... um, the privilege and the, the stewardship to just be able to teach, um, to minister to the pastors, that despite all of the weird things that were going on circumstantially, um, the Lord was at work. And he, um, he had the final say. As we were about to go on the plane, I, I saw that uh, that Training Leaders International had put a little post um, on their Facebook page, uh, just saying, today we're welcoming back the team of teachers that went to Ambo, Ethiopia last week. Please pray for safe travel, uh, or praise God with us for safe travel. Now, I thought that was a little early to put out there because we were still in the Ethiopia airport. And um, especially for Tim and I, we went our separate way. Um, So we flew to Washington Now, if you remember, uh, the trip started with a little bit of difficulty because our flight that was supposed to be out of Rochester was canceled. Um, So we wound up driving to Newark to catch our connecting flight. Um, So the individuals in the office of TLI had to rearrange our flight so that we don't fly back into Rochester when my car is in Newark. Um, and right before we got to the, to the airport in Ethiopia, which there, it was just mass confusion. There's like four security checkpoints to get through and um, just all this stuff. Um, we, uh, the, the, the person from the TLI office told Mike, double check that Adam and Mike are, or are, are Adam and Tim, sorry, Tim, are scheduled to get back to, Eth- to, to get to Newark because he said, we ordered the tickets and we never received a confirmation. So I'm thinking, oh no. <laughs> well, the, the the Ethiopian airline um, front desk said, yes, they're scheduled to go to Newark. In fact, that was even put on our luggage that we're, you know, the luggage is going to be headed to Newark. Well, we get to uh, Washington and we follow all the signage for an international trip and it says you know, connecting flight, go through this security. We're like, well, we can't go through that security. We have no boarding passes. So Tim and I are kind of like, you know, if ever there was a picture, I think if somebody was watching us, they would be, who are these amateur travelers? (laughs) Because we're like scurrying around in this big airport trying to find where even is United. And let's get out of the connecting flight area and let's go to the people that are checking in. We finally found where to go. And a lady said, um, finally took, scanned our passports and says, we have no, inform- you're not on this flight. We have no information on you. We said, our luggage is on this flight. Um, I said, okay, well, can we just get two, you know, this is after a 16-hour plane dr- uh, flight. Can we just get two tickets? Um, And no, you cannot purchase a ticket at the airport. Imagine that. It has to be online. Um, So so anyway, we call Mike and we call the uh, individual that handles travel at the TLI office and we get it all straightened out. Uh, We print our boarding passes and and there we are on the flight. And uh, um, so, you know, long flying, kind of a little bit stressed out just from all the events of the day and little sleep. Uh, But we make it back to Newark and uh, get our luggage. And uh, we were headed back on the four-hour trip. And and this is kind of the way that that our our travel ended. Um, Right, the next slide. Right there on the side of the road. Um, My car kind of randomly broke down, still not a hundred percent sure what happened or how it happened. And I'm kind of working with my insurance and still a little bit up in the air. Still pray, pray for that if you would, uh, cause it's kind of a large expense. Um, but, uh, so it's a, it's sitting at Matthew Motors right now for the past two weeks. Um, but it was kind of like, you've got to be kidding me. We have two hours left to go. And, uh, and we were on the side of the road then for five hours. Um, to make a long story short, my insurance was trying to get a hold of a tow company and uh, they couldn't. Now, Matt came to save the day. He sacrificed of his Saturday evening to travel two hours uh, to come. And then we still had to wait for like another hour. Finally, we called the police and he, he, the police got a tow truck in 15 minutes. So should have done that from the beginning. Um, but Matt came and he rescued us. So we were supposed to get home at like 6 p.m. on Saturday. Um, and we got home at midnight uh, that night. Uh, so the, the parties that were planned by our families were, were delayed a little bit. Um, but all of that to say that where you step out in faith for God there's always going to be obstacles. I mean, I would go go in a heartbeat um, back to Ethiopia or another trip for TLI because of seeing um, how God was able to use me and the giftings that He's given me uh, despite all of those hardships. Now, I did think, God, if you want me to to do this again, give me a week rest. (laughs) But, But... It is worth stepping out in faith for the kingdom of Christ. It is worth it, despite the hindrances. And that's what Paul is talking about here when he says, pray for us. There was danger. There was just realities of living in a broken world and a million different things could go bad. I mean, how many times was Paul shipwrecked? I mean, I'd rather be on the side of the road than be floating on a piece of board. But Paul says, pray for us. And and I'll also add this before we move on, that despite all of the hardships that Tim and I and you know, again, when we say hardships, we're we're saying that in the context of a of a of a uh, um, of America of a of a uh, what what do you call it the first world country. Um, but these pastors that 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 went to to get trained the week we were there, uh, many of them were traversing through towns that were very dangerous. And, and even while we were in Ambo, it was very common for us to see a truckload of armed soldiers, um, armed soldiers on the road, soldiers staying at the, at the hotel we were staying at uh, because of the danger of, of rebels and that there could be uprisings um, in that town. Ombo is not the safest of places. Uh, but but these pastors were traversing on foot, many of them, uh, if not all of them, through difficult areas. And because they could not make it back, um, Matt, one of our team, uh, one of the guys on our team, said, "Hey guys, come here. Look at this. Um, just to give you some perspective, here's where some of the pastors are staying for the week." Uh, and, and I took a pic, uh, two pictures of it. Um, here's their accommodations. Um, And and mind you, at that facility, uh, at the church facilities, absolutely no showers there. Um, In fact, you know, I would notice by midweek and towards the end of the week that some of the people that we were training, um, you know, that was their outfit for the whole week. Now, I I was kind of uh, complaining in my mind that the first morning, you know, you're already... That first night, I don't think Tim or I or probably anybody got much sleep, but especially Tim and I, we're dealing with kind of culture shock, and we're trying to sleep in a, in a new place, a weird place. Um, of course, the, the, um, the Arabic Muslim singing at 5 a.m. didn't help um, from the speakers of the mosque. But I remember that first morning I, I, I said, you know, I'm going to turn on the shower to take a shower. I turn it on expecting what what I have at home and there's these trickles coming out and uh and then there's an external water heater there so you know I'm like okay I'm trying to mess with that I let it run five minutes and the water's not getting any warmer um so I was like all right when in Rome so you know trying to take a shower in ice cold water and not have it get in your mouth because you're not supposed to drink the water uh but man little did I have to complain about right but, we, but every one of those pastors, the joy that, and, and the fervor that they had in their hearts for the Lord um, was so much greater than what we would say was their lack of material means. And it's not that these Ethiopian Christians are somehow super Christians. No. They are just living according to the way we are all called to live, to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You see, Paul prays and requests prayer for the spread of the gospel, not only that the gospel would go out freely, but that there would be preservation of the gospel messengers. You see, Paul, his heart, is that all things are worth The proclaiming of the gospel. He says, Pray for us. Not only that the word of the Lord would speed ahead and be honored, but verse 2 that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. Again, Paul knows the sacrifice, Paul knows the dangers. And Paul says, I am not relegating those dangers to as if they do not exist. I am not going to say, well, it doesn't matter because as long as I'm doing God's will, God's just going to keep all of that from me. Don't we think that so many times? God, I'm doing this for you. I'm doing that for you. Why are you allowing these things to happen? Uh, Paul doesn't say... These things are nothing, but he says, Would you pray for us in light of these things? Because the gospel is worth it. He asked to be delivered from evil and wicked men. It's funny, that word evil um, it, literally it means out of place. In fact, in one passage in the New Testament, It's translated concerning misfortune that happened to Paul. There were men that were out of place in this sense that they were were living completely contrary to God's plans and, and purposes that He desires His creations to live. They were the complete opposite of what they should be. They were evil. They were wicked. And again, Paul knows what he's talking about when he tells the Thessalonian church, we we desire to continue the, the ministry God has given us. Would You pray that the word goes out, but as you pray for the word to go out, pray that we would be delivered from these type of men so that the word would go out. Please don't forget that that when you read these words, Paul is on his second missionary journey. He has some traction under his belt. He knows what he's talking about. And when you trace where Paul is up to this point, before he ever gets to, to Thessalonica, he visits Philippi in Acts chapter 16, verses 11 to 40. And many of you know what happens to Paul at Philippi. There's an uprising. They take Paul. They take Silas. They beat them with rods and throw them in prison. And it's not until they learn that Paul is a Roman citizen that they start to act apologetically. And then he goes on, after all of those beatings, He goes on to Thessalonica, and Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 2.2, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Where Paul is writing uh, the book of 1st of and 2nd Thessalonians is most likely Corinth. Incidentally, the book that we're studying right now in our series. In fact, as Paul then uh, eventually, he goes to Philippi and then Thessalonica where this church is settled. He goes to a few more places and then he winds up in Corinth. And we don't have time to look at, at Acts chapter 18 but there again is an uprising among the Jews as they reject the gospel that he preaches in the synagogues. And, and, and Paul is, having gone through such difficulty in the past, Paul receives a vision from Jesus and he says, Don't fear, Paul. I have much people in this city to be saved. You are going to minister here. And in and and, and, and verse 10 it says that Paul ministers for a year and six months in Corinth. No sacrifice that we make for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for the kingdom of God, will ever not be worth it. I mean, man, if if, if Paul endures all of this difficulty, what an example for us to endure some of the ridicule that we may endure at our workplaces. To endure loss for the purpose of eternal gain. To give our lives to Christ and and to do what may seem foolish to this world in order to answer the call of Christ in our lives. Maybe this morning there's something that you are internally struggling with, that that the Lord is calling you to step out in faith. And all of the what-ifs are just flooding your mind and it's leaving you paralyzed. At the end of the day, we have to ask ourselves, what kingdom do we desire to live for? What type of seed are we looking to plant that will one day reap a harvest? Paul was willing, if need be, to give his very life for the sake of the gospel. Knowing that Jesus had already given his life for him. Are you, in your prayer, specifically praying for the spread of the gospel? Not only in the lives of others, but in your own life? But not only must we, if we are going to be praying in a gospel-centered way, for the message of the gospel to be heard, not only must we be praying for the spread of the gospel... That includes freedom and fruitfulness of the message to go forward, protection of the messengers. But secondly, not just the spread of the gospel, but we must be praying for growth in the gospel. You see, if we are going to be faithful stewards of the gospel, we ourselves must be growing in the truth of the gospel. The reality that Jesus has died in my place. That Jesus has given His all for me. And now I in turn have the privilege to give my all for Christ. Paul says at the beginning of verse 3, despite these wicked and evil men, and he says not all have faith. These are unbelievers who have purposefully and consciously rejected the truth. Verse 3 says, But... The Lord is faithful. You see, this is our security. If we are to grow in the gospel, the only way we can do so is to first realize just how secure we are in that gospel. It's easy for us to look at the negatives, to look at the end of verse 2 and just stop there, for not all have faith. Lord, I can't share my faith. Because they're going to reject it. They're going to treat me wrongly. Lord, I can't follow you here. Because man, I'm scared. Look at all of the the negatives, the the obstacles. But then do we counter that with the beginning of verse 3? But the Lord is faithful. Do you know how contrastive this is? If you were to read this in the Greek... The word faith is repeated two times back to back. For not all have faith. Faithful is the Lord. It's the same exact word. That word, depending on the context, can be talking about the faith of an individual or the faithfulness of an individual. Paul purposefully puts these two same words back to back that says this is. Is so much greater than this. Not all have faith, but guess what? My God is faithful. He will accomplish the purposes that He has set out for me. Doesn't matter if you're at, if you're at a school, you're, you're teaching at a school, doesn't matter if you're working at a factory, doesn't matter if you're, you're a, 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 a serving in church, it doesn't matter where you are, God is faithful. You see, evil men cannot overturn the plans of God. God is always faithful to His own. Does not Paul say in his letter to, Thess- to Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5.24, He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. I like what one individual says. They said this, His, God's faithfulness, guarantees... These three things. A, our suffering has meaning. B, our persecutors will reap their just reward. And C, our future is secure in Him. Next time you're going through trial, next time you're going through difficulty, would you jot these three things down to remember them? Half of the problem that we have is that we let the worries speak to ourselves, but we don't speak back to them gospel truth. God is faithful. And in being faithful, we continue to read in verse 3, it's, uh, how is the Lord faithful? Paul says He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Now what's interesting to me here is both the truth, the comfort of the truth that Paul proclaims, but Paul in verses 1 and 2, he's saying, brothers, would you pray for us? Would you pray for us that the gospel would go forward as we declare it and that that we would be kept from evil and wicked men? But then all of a sudden he transitions and says, God is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Shouldn't he say God is faithful? He will establish us. So when you're praying, know that God's going to still be faithful to us no matter what happens. Well, I think one of the reasons that he says this is because if we are going to pray in this way, we first have to believe it ourselves. When you pray, Lord... Would you be at work in so-and-so's life? Are we praying from a standpoint of faith and understanding that I know that God is faithful and He does promise to work even though it may be in ways I do not understand? You see, the work of God in our hearts, if we are to grow in, our gospel, in the gospel, we have to see that the gospel is our security. We know God is faithful, but also we can know that God grounds us to himself. Paul says, he will establish you. That has the idea to be inwardly firm or committed. God is going to ground you in Himself. In fact, 1 Peter 5.10 says, uh, Peter tells the believers there, after you have suffered a while, the God of all grace will restore, confirm, strengthen. That's the same word we have in our text. He will strengthen you. God is grounding you deeper into Himself. And unfortunately, it seems unfortunate to us, the way that God does that is through difficulty, through trial, through hardship, where none of us are going to automatically start growing in our faith in God just by snapping our fingers and letting it happen. We have to experientially be put through the ringer And through all of the ups and downs, see at the end of the day that God is still faithful. And that's the only way that our faith grows. But please know that through no matter what suffering that you are going through, no matter what difficulty you have or will encounter for the cause of Christ, He is establishing you deeper and deeper to Himself. Not only will he establish us, but He will protect us." It says in verse four or verse three, "He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. You see, we are safe in the hold of Christ. It's the very same word that Jesus himself says concerning his disciples in John 17:12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. We know that this evil one, Satan, he, he prowls like a lion. He seeks to devour. But just as Jesus prayed in his example prayer in Matthew 6, Deliver us from the evil one. Christ grounds us to Himself; He is our security. Our growth in the gospel as we go grow deeper into the message that it is Jesus, on behalf of wicked sinners, that can do nothing for themselves. In order to grow in our Uh, Understanding and appreciation of that message, we must constantly find the emptiness of self. That without Jesus, we can do nothing. And He grounds us deeper and deeper into His sufficiency. Verse 4, Paul continues and he says, And we have this confidence about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. So if we are going to grow in the gospel, Christ must be our security. But then in verse 4, we do see that there's obedience that's involved. And maybe that's where some of you stand right now. That maybe there's pockets of rebellion against the ways of the Lord. And I'm not talking about, like we mentioned earlier, just checking off moral things on a checklist. No, I am talking about giving your heart to your Savior to say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. You are bucking against that. And there are areas that you know Christ is calling, steps that you know Christ is calling you to take. And you are not willing to do that. Listen, you will never grow in the gospel if that is your posture. As the hymn says, all to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give. But for sake of time, there's a third and there's a final prayer request that we are to make if we are going to pray in a gospel-centered way. Not just for the spread of the gospel, verses 1 and 2, not just for our growth in the gospel, but thirdly, we are to be praying for perseverance in the gospel Do you see how mission for the Lord, it's not simply about doing, it is about our hearts. I think that's why sometimes missionaries or missions work seems boring or just something out there for extreme Christians because with God's, we are not allowing God to do a work in our hearts to see That we are all called to be stewards of the gospel. What does Paul say in verse 5? May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Notice that Paul doesn't say in verse 5 now go out there and do it, pray and spread the gospel in some type of a mechanical way. Now Paul does say in First Thessalonians that he thanks the Lord for how this church is already spreading the gospel. But he grounds them into the foundational level that they have to have their hearts in the right place for all of these other things to flow out. See, if we are to persevere in the Gospel and and the message of Christ crucified and risen that we claim to hold, we must first be struck with the reality of the love of God. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God. funny how in a different context in 1st Thessalonians 3 Paul prays now may God our, and may now may our God and father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you talking about we want to come back and visit you here he's saying there's an even greater spiritual work that the Lord must do in our hearts that that he himself would direct our hearts to the love of God listen Our weed cannot understand the love of God. Oh, the breadth, the depth of the love of God, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3. It's beyond our understanding. It's not like a human love that is fickle or conditional. God, by grounding us to Himself, by stripping away all of these external things that we cling to, what God is doing in our lives is He's actually doing an act of love, directing us to Himself. And this phrase, the love of God, it's an interesting one. That little, if you're an English person, an English buff, that little phrase, of God, Many times it can mean one of two things. Is this talking about the love that's describing God's love? So the love which is God's love, God's love? Or is it talking about the direction, the focus of love, the love that we are to have for God? And, And theologians will talk about, you know, what does this phrase, how is it to be used... But there are many places in the Bible where it's actually, well, you know what? Both senses are true here. That we must continually be in a position where we are saying, Lord, the lies of the enemy, the ways of culture, the inner self that speaks to me each and every day, by default directs me away from your love. Would you, through your word, through the Holy Spirit, continually direct me back to the true love that you hold for me? I do think this passage is talking about God's love for us, but I also think there's a double sense here that this passage is also talking about our love for God. You see, when we truly understand God's unconditional, matchless love for us, that the only response that we can have is awe and humility and love back. That the Lord, it is up to the Lord, His working in our hearts, not only to show us His great love for us, But to even guide our response of love back to Him, that's that's how dependent we are on God. That as we submit ourselves to Him, we say, Lord, it's not that I can just make some decision and all of a sudden, poof, everything changes. And my heart affections change, and this changes, and that changes. God, I simply want to come to You, submit myself to You, and give You permission to work in my heart. And Lord, would you give me the strength as you lead that I say yes and obey? That's growth in the gospel. That is going to be your foundation for everything else in life. But how many times do we say, may Adam Pereira direct my own heart to the love of God? Or you put your name in there. Maybe we need to get with God and say, God, how prideful I have been. How can I be on mission for you when I am really on mission for myself? I'm trying to do it all in the flesh. If we're going to persevere in the gospel, we must grasp through the work of God, His Spirit, in our hearts, the reality of God's love, but also the reality of the steadfastness of Christ. May the Lord direct your hearts to the steadfastness of Christ. Paul, in in the beginning of 2 Thessalonians, has already commended this church because of their steadfastness and faith In all their persecutions and afflictions that they're enduring. These believers too are going through hardship just like Paul is. But again, that phrase of Christ has a double meaning there. That yes, most often that word steadfastness in the New Testament, it deals of the believer's patient endurance in the faith. We keep going. We cling to Christ. We don't renounce what God has called us to the message of the cross. But this phrase of Christ is also referring to the example of steadfastness we find in the very life of Jesus. Hebrews 12 and verse 2 says that we are to look to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus persevered the shame of the cross, the agony Carrying the sins of His people on Himself. Knowing what was ahead. In a perfect relationship of love and submission to the Father. And we now, as the ones who Christ has has died for and, and who rose again and has given us new life, we are to do the same. To patiently endure For the one who endured for us. See, brothers and sisters, what this is at the end of the day is, this is a prayer, this is a request for all of us. Those who are going where we cannot go, those who are in places even here within this building, that have specific ministries to specific people in our community and even in this church. And then for ourselves, that we would be proclaimers of the gospel as it works in our hearts. I have a few final pictures to show you, but this is a request for all of us. It doesn't matter if we're in Ethiopia Here's a picture of part of the congregation that um, I was able to speak to on, on the Sunday that we were in Ethiopia. Um, Tim and I were were there. Um, just one picture uh, just the, uh, of the side of, of the auditorium. There's another church there in Ethiopia that Matt Adams, one of our teammates, was able to preach at. It's a requ- this is a request for these brothers and sisters. Here's a third picture of a church where Mike Rudolph was able to speak. This is a prayer request for these brothers and sisters. Have a picture of on break in between classes we were teaching. Uh, Actually, that's a a chapel. Um, It's a request for these brothers. It's a request for us who are standing there. The next picture shows Uh, a group of these pastors that were just on a little coffee break in between uh, class times. It's a prayer for them and the people that they minister to. Then this last slide has several different pictures. Uh, We see Fakadu and his son. Uh, Fakadu's wife is in that second picture with her mother. Uh, they, They hosted us at their house. They're getting coffee ready, Ethiopian coffee for us. Um, one of the leaders in the church network that we were serving, um, this is his sister-in-law who was doing a coffee ceremony. And even those cute two little kids who were there, who were were at the facilities, they were children of a couple of the people that worked at the facilities we were at. And the one English word that they knew, Tim can tell you this, is candy. And uh, in fact, I think they might be holding some of the candy I gave them, uh, which were the mints that you gave, Hazel, to, to Tim and I to take with us. And uh, believe it or not, kids thought that those were the greatest things. Peppermints, can you believe that? Um, but they were the two cutest kids. It is for people across the globe from us, and it is for us as well. We are to all be rooted and grounded in the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. So as we conclude before we go to the Lord's supper this final principle we must pray for the gospel to be at work in us and throughout the world. Is that your prayer? Is that mine? Let's pray. Lord, as we close this morning and we kind of transition to observing the very love that You have for us. Lord, a very picture of the steadfastness of Christ going to the cross on behalf of helpless sinners. Father, thank You for Your love. Lord, would the pouring out of your love in our hearts Lord would you likewise do a work where you grab the attention the focus of our hearts that we would love you back with an unhindered love Father there's so many things that we are tempted to cling to that in the end are not going to matter. Father, maybe there's one today that feels like giving up. Maybe their view of what's fair is not come to pass, and they've passed on some of that bitterness and anger in their hearts to you and have blamed you. Father, would they be reminded that Jesus undertook what was definitely not fair, didn't seem right, yet He did it perfectly for us. Lord, do a work of grounding us more and more to Your Son, causing us to appreciate and love the message of the gospel in greater and greater ways. And Lord, being responsible stewards of praying for the spread of the gospel and being gospel spreaders ourselves. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.